The Bizarre Cast contains adult themes and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special Independence Day episode of the Bizarre Cast. It is a double bill. I have Ryan Kruger, actor, director, writer, and Greg Hickey, a author, screenwriter, and blogger. So the two of those guys are coming up. But first up, we have Ryan Kruger. Let's get into it. And with me today, I have Ryan Kruger. He's a man of many talents, actor, writer, director, a man of all sorts. Ryan, how are you today? I'm fine, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, having me. Excellent. Yeah. So today we want to discuss a little bit about Fried Barry, the original short to begin with. And you are okay. in the middle of post-production uh, for Fried Barry feature. So I just want to start off. Where would you like to just explain to the audience a little bit about Fried Barry and where you got the inspiration from? Um, yeah. So we started the short. Well, it was about uh, it was about 2016. Uh, we finished the the short film, and it was originally just uh, made for a you know it was like a two, three minute uh, experimental film, and then from there we we sent it off to all the all the festivals, and we had about like 57 official selections uh, around the world and then we got about 12 uh, awards for it but there was there wasn't any ever any plans to actually make it into a feature okay and just for those in the audience who haven't seen it yet it is uh, would you say it's someone being fried from heroin it's essentially just following a junkie's trip would that be fair to say yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the the whole thing was was it was designed to uh, to make you feel uncomfortable for those for those like three minutes. So, what it really is about is, like you said, it's it's literally a heroin addict in in this abandoned building and, and him freaking out on his latest hit. And you know that was it. It was and it was just like the feel and his emotions of his you know his highs and lows, basically in that moment of of his space and what he was going through. Uh, yeah, that that was it, and that's why there was never any major plans to to make it go further than that. Uh, as I said, it was a part of a eight part experimental series that I was making, and this was like basically the first film that was making in the collection. Okay, great. And yes, Gary Green, he does play Barry. Uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you just put hidden cameras in the room with him. He looks very convincing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, and Gary's uh, yeah, Gary's great. So I mean, I've I've worked with Gary over the years, like the music videos that I've done. You know, I've put him in, you know, small parts uh, in music videos over the years, and then this was like the biggest part that I that I given him because when I had the idea, I thought oh, he would be amazing at it. And Gary's background, he's actually he used to do some stunts back in the day, and then he's he actually does a lot of extra extra work so he's he's normally he's normally in the background but you know he's always wanted to do more and then i've always loved you know i love characters so i've always loved his his face you know he's got such an interesting face that stands out so when i had the idea for fry barry uh the short i was just like oh, i said you know gary's gonna be um amazing this he's gonna you know he's visually he's gonna look awesome he's gonna look better than than anybody else even if i cast the best actor in the country is not going to look as good as as gary you know yeah of course and you've had um, many times yourself 
in front of the camera but this and behind the camera what was the camera used this time around uh, for all the camera files out there in the audience it was the red dragon so i, I used the uh, uh the red dragon camera quite a lot on um a majority of my shoots it's just one of those you know i think everybody's got the preferable camera that they'll use uh, for me it's uh, like i, I really uh, like using the 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 dragon cuz i know you know I, know I know what i can get out of the camera and i know what i can get out of the camera in post as well when it comes to like grading and stuff like that so I suppose when Barry is out chasing the dragon, then you're behind the red dragon. So you've now adapted uh, Fried Barry into a full feature and you're currently in post-production, as I understand it. Um, how did you begin to flesh that out? And also, is this your first feature venture in that regard? I'm originally from, from the UK, from, uh, from Liverpool and uh i've been living now in south africa for about 10 11 years uh so i originally started you know i always made like little shorts back in the day with all my friends uh but then uh, you know as as i got older and stuff uh, I, I thought you know i decided to go into music videos so i ended up uh, shooting like a hell of a lot of music videos um in south africa so it was always before i lived here i was always back and forth for a few years but my my surname is kruger so my uh, my father is is South African, so but every time I came to South Africa, I always end up getting like a lot of work. So I I thought you know if I'm getting more work here than I am in the UK, then it makes more sense to, you know, to to move to South Africa. So as well as the uh, the directing music videos, I you know I my original first thing that I got into was was acting. So then yeah, so I started with the whole acting thing. And yeah, I was just getting more work this side. And over the years, I've tried to make a feature film, and I've come close so many times. And then it's, you know something always always stops it in some way, or the money falls through. And then with this film, it just it just uh, seemed to work. And um, I shot the short film. I think it was 2016, 2017, I think. And that's only just been released recently because it's just finished the the festival run. And there was never ever a plan to make a full length feature of of Fry Barry. Um, it was just an experimental three minute, uh, you know, short. And then I, I got fed up of uh, waiting, trying to wait and, you know, figure out how I'm going to make my first feature. And then the funny thing is uh, the idea came to me the one night and I wrote a scene breakdown and then we got an investor. And then a month, month later we were, we were shooting the film and, um, and obviously, I had to expand on the story because the the short is literally about uh, a yeah. you know a, a heroin addict off his head in a you know an abandoned building, and that and that was it, you know. So, you, you know, most people will look at that and be like, "How the hell is there going to be a feature film based on off this short?" So, so that was the whole thing. I I, I had to be right in so many different ways because our lead actor is not a you know he's not a trained actor yeah and i know that i can't give him dialogue because he won't be able you you know he won't be able to do it i mean like i love uh our lead actor gary green i love his look i love he's such a he's such a character and this is why i say he's the best guy for the job and you know and jamie gave us like 120 percent, and he was great but i had to base the film making and the story around gary himself so I know I can pull it off and I know he can pull it off. So the strengths were stronger in the, you know, at the end of the day. 
So um, yeah, and he did he did an amazing job, and he doesn't really speak throughout the the film, and when he does say something, it's he's mimicking. So when uh, somebody says something and he'll mimic the odd word, it's fine if it comes across in a, in, a, in a certain way or weird or very offbeat and it's fine because he's an alien so it doesn't it doesn't really matter too much <laughs> very good and i've spoken to my fair share of people in the uk in terms of the film scene there do you really find that there was much more in south africa what exactly is the south african i suppose scene like for initially you said you were doing music videos but the film scene in general it doesn't really get much press outside of from what i've seen i wouldn't see much of it the cool thing in south africa is uh i think there's a lot of people that actually don't know this but south africa is the biggest place in the world for commercials uh when i go to england and i watch the t- i watch tv in england 90 percent of the commercials that you see on tv is actually shot here okay and then and a, a lot of like the acting that i do when i when i do commercials People are always like, oh, why didn't you tell me you were back home in England? I was like, no, no, we shot it, we shot it in Cape Town. So, Cape Town, you know, they sh- the reason why people come shoot here because we've got so many, you know. So, I mean, we've got all the different locations that you know that look that can look like Spain, that can look like Mexico, can, that can look like all these different, all these different, uh, you know, places. But the thing is, we have so many feature films that come shoot here because of those different locations like when i first moved here like one of my friends was were like well shit why are you going to south africa it's just gonna be a waste of time you should be in england or you should be in america and you know to get a really good agent in the uk or the us you would have to you know even been in that indie film that went big so you can get the right representation and and you know do those get yourself in those rooms for the actual films that you would actually want to be in yeah so yeah. the thing is over over here i've got like one of the best agents which is which is great and on top of that the auditions and stuff that i'm getting is for big you know is for big stuff yeah i mean there is b movie you know shoots that come shoot here as well you know you know they've shot like a, one of the critters movies here and they've shot like one of the tremors movies here so i mean you know you, you'll get that and then you'll get you know the bigger films and you know over the years they've shot many 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 big films here you know like you know death race um well that's more of a b movie but you'll get like doomsday or you'll get like blood diamond yeah sure or, um, and district nine Nicholas. was that south africa as well there was yeah 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 so so there is there's lots of you know big stuff here and then now like the, i was involved in a big tv series called uh, warrior and it's like a story based off bruce lee's uh like writing um one of the stories that he wrote like years ago so that's you know I, I was working on that in the first season so that's like a big like uh hbo thing and okay. um so yeah there is there, there is lots of there is lots of like big things coming that get shot here which is uh and yeah the other one was a uh, lord of uh, lord of war so there oh, is sure. a lot of uh, things that get that gets uh, shot here constantly but that's the thing it's it, it's like um you know, you have those big things and you have those those low budget things, but the stuff that I'm doing here, I couldn't get when I was in the UK. Yeah. So it's just yeah. like uh, it's 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 very beneficial. And for me, as a as an English guy, it's very beneficial for me because you know everybody's not trying to be English. <laughs> yeah. Like I am English. Yeah. So so you know so so it so it definitely helps a lot. So it's it's like when it comes to the South African local industry, 
you know they're not going to cast me in anything because you know there's a you know there's a million and one other South Africans that can do the South African accent because they are South African. Yes. Know? Yeah. Exactly. And do you prefer your time on front of the screen or, or not the screen? The camera, I should say, uh, or behind the camera? Or do you prefer? Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know what? Absolutely. My, 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 you know, my first passion was, act, you know, was acting, and very shortly after that was, you know, directed. So me as an actor, I love, I love characters. I love playing those, you know, those odd, you know, those odd characters or those funny characters or the weird, uh, bad guys or whatever. So I, I love the the acting and I love the process of, of that and you know working with certain directors. Um, but the thing is with your acting career, you have no control over it. You go to an audition, you either get the part or you don't get the part. And then you go to another audition. So there's no, there's no control. So, and it's very rarely like most actors will tell you like, ah, oh, I would love to do this role. The chances are doing the role that you want to do is very slim that it actually comes up, you know, when you want to play some crazy character, you want to play a certain, you know, challenging role you know it's very far in between that you'll actually get a chance to audition for that type of character but with directing the cool thing is that you can create your own stories and you can you know you can actually do what you want yeah. which, which is great so so I, in a way i would say directing i do love my acting but you have more i have more control over you know obviously the content that i'm writing and and what i'm directing so i can you know, if if I wanted to, um, you know, I could always like write something for myself, or if I work with a co-writer, you know, we, you know, we can, you know, I can do something there as a little small, cool little cameo role or something like that. But I think overall, I think it's the directing only because it's, I definitely have more, you know, more control control over it. But I also think it's, it's a lot less stress, and I think some people would disagree with me on that. But um, for for me, like okay. I think I think actors, you know, if actors that just do acting, they learn the script and they come on set and they do they do the part and they they learn the character and they do the research. And with directing, there's there's so much, you know, there's so much stuff to do in like pre-prod or writing and and everything. But at the same time, it's very chilled for me and it, and it, I work with the right people, so it's it's a nice process for me. And I, it's not like I have to learn dialogue. Yeah. For me, I, 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 Personally, me as an actor, you know, I, I don't mind learning dialogue, but I've always got so many other things going on in my life where I'm juggling with, you know, the acting thing, the directing thing, and I'm always in the process of juggling quite a few projects. So it's always quite stressful to try learn lines. And that's why if I just did acting, I'd probably be really fine. But because the uh, directing, you know, I don't need to learn any dialogue. As a director, when you're making a movie, you should you should know every single thing about your movie and how you want it and whether it's wardrobe production design you know the art direction or or character you should know it and you you know it, it should come natural to you because you wrote you wrote the thing so you you should know all the information anyway yeah of course no because definitely going back to the directing you do have a, a great flair because watching the short fried barry it was exactly what you set out just oh i want people to be uncomfortable the noise the shots yeah everything absolutely. it was like oh my god i can imagine being in this guy's shoes and i've never tried heroin hope to never try it i've always oh, yeah. thought it would make a good uh uh you know drug uh what do, what do they call it a drug P uh, psa yeah you know yeah, definitely so for, for people to watch it and go fuck i'm never gonna never gonna take drugs again or even attempt 
to take drugs. Yeah, exactly. And just to, you know, you obviously pulled, you know, a heroin trip, so to speak. Uh, is that something that you would have been faced with in your own, not your own personal life, but just seeing it out there, maybe back home in England or South Africa? Is there a big problem with heroin around the place? Um, for, for, for me, no. <laughs> like it's, the, the funny thing is, it's like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure every, you know, every, you know, every city and every place, you know, there's obviously major drug problems that you hear about and stuff. But uh, for myself uh, personally, um, I've never, yeah, I've never, I've never done heroin or anything like that. So, but I think at the same time, when I when I made this film, as I was saying last time, it, you know, I was making a collection of eight experimental films. Yeah. And each each film had a had a different theme or a few themes within each film, but in a in a weird way, there's 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 something uh, about each each film that I made that has something of me w- within the movie in a, in a weird strange way because the reason why I made all these uh, eight experimentals was because. At the time, I, I went through. Uh, I had some pro. I had some problems. I had an operation on my kidney, and then I got sepsis, and then I nearly died. I went God. through a break. I, I went through a, a breakup, and then I went into heavy depression. And I was sick of just doing, you know, just doing music videos, and I really wanted to express myself more. Yeah. So I made these eight experimentals, and in all these experimentals, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. But there was, there was one friend that I showed. And she started crying, and I said, "Well, what's 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 up? Why are you crying?" And she says, "Well, this is you, Ryan. There's 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 a bit of you in all these things." And I didn't even know until I looked at it and was like, "Oh shit, she she's right." And, and 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 it's not the drug thing or anything like that, but it was just like you know facing like you know uh, your own demons or you know what I mean. There was there was, there was something yeah. in 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 all of them, uh, you know, from from myself, which was really weird. I I, I didn't even. I didn't even look at it like that until she pointed out, and I was like, "Fuck, it's actually, it's actually quite true." So, so there was a lot of uh, myself and you know these eight experimentals, and and it's the exact same thing with the film, where I got to a point in when I was depressed, and I got to a point where I was just like, if I don't do something big with my life now, as I was, I was as I was in that the down the rabbit hole in this depression, and it was dark times. I said, "I've you know I've got to make something." And I've got to do something now, or as I'm gonna. Yeah. And um, and then I decided, like, right, that's it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this film. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And that's, in many, many ways, uh, Fry Barry the Future has like saved my life in so many ways. It's like, it's like ridiculous that uh, you know, I needed something to concentrate on. I needed, I needed something big to do in my career that I've always wanted to do, and and that's what happened. Yeah, that's great. And I suppose, Fried Barry, then you're in post-production, as you mentioned. Uh, two questions. How long before we can feast our eyes or even feast our fancies with Fried Barry, the feature? And what is the next project? What is uh, the next thing for Ryan Kruger? Well, I think I think Fried Barry is going to be, it's probably going to be at the, at the end of this year. Uh, we have sent it to a few festivals, so we're just waiting to see what the actual premiere status uh, from what festival it will be and then from there we'll obviously bring it out on on other plat- on other platforms and then as for the next project we do have like two 
two other things that we would really like to do. There's the there's a documentary which I can't really talk about, uh, and then there's another film that I would like to do, but we just uh, it will be as just as wacky as uh, as Fried Barry. But uh, going back to Fried Barry, um, compared to the to the short film, obviously we had to expand on the idea and expand on the uh, you know the you know the story obviously like a hell of a lot but uh, i think that people that like you know there, there's so many different elements in the movie that you know we have this whole horror vibe yeah. in the movie we have we have this comedy in the movie and we have this touch of sci-fi and the touch of horror elements and stuff like that but i think overall i think it's it's one of the what we wanted from the very beginning is to have this like cult style movie which they don't really people don't really make anymore if you know everything's a very generic everything that comes out now these days it's kind of the same thing all the time it's just dressed differently yeah so yeah. i think with fried barry that it's it's you know it's kind of going back to the 80s and it's kind of going back to like uh early 90s like cult style movies like well, if you look at because yeah. stuff like bad boy bobby or stuff like that you know it just has this old school look look to it yeah definitely because i've seen the instagram and i love is that all fan art being submitted it's all great yeah stuff. yeah exactly and yeah we've ha- we've had all this uh fan art and uh so it's already kind of got like this cult following which is great so we've i don't know how that happened uh but yeah we've because originally it was like 57 official selections around the world and then we had the 12 wins and then I found like an illegal download that's not online anymore, and that had ninety thousand views. Oh, wow. And then, um, and then just recently, iHorror uh, released it on their platform. But yeah, we just started getting this fan art, and then it it just grew. And the the cool thing about fan art is, you know, we've had like about a hundred pieces of fan art, and I haven't even posted all of them out. We just haven't had time. But the cool thing about the fan art is, if you know, if it, if a hundred people are thinking. If a hundred people are doing fan art, then there's got to be another hundred people thinking about doing it, and it's not doing it. Yeah. So it all grows, uh, all grows from there, which is, which is amazing. Fantastic. Well, that that is all fab. And Ryan, it is now time to close shop at the bazaar today. And where can people find you online? Where can people see Fried Barry? And where will it be landing? Where can we find all all things Ryan? Cool. So on, uh, I think if you just go on Facebook and type in uh, Ryan Kruger, uh, or you can go to Facebook as well with uh, Fried Barry uh, Movie or Instagram Ryan Kruger thing, a uh, Ryan Kruger thing on Instagram and uh, Twitter. Yeah. So I think you either just search for Ryan Kruger or Fried Barry, and it it should come up, and you can check out the process of of the development as uh, as things as things go along. Excellent. Well, very nice to talk to you, Ryan and I hope we get to chat again soon and thank you very much okay cool thank you man thank you so much and that guys was my chat with Ryan Kruger I hope you enjoyed it check the links in the show notes to see all things Ryan and Fried Barry and now on with Greg Hickey ladies and gentlemen I welcome this evening Greg Hickey screenwriter and blogger greg welcome to the show hi richard thank you very much for having me excellent well it's great to have you on greg and today um, we are going to be focusing on one of your new choose your own adventures would you really call it an adventure though it's called the friar's lantern maybe you can explain to the audience a little bit of what that might entail 
Sure. So the story is told in the style of a choose your own adventure or a game book, which means two things. Um, one, that the story is written in second person narration. So everything is you do this, you do that. If you want to um, choose option A, turn to such and such page. So the idea is to bring the reader into the story and make the reader feel like they are the protagonist in the story's action. Um, second thing that happens is that at certain points throughout the story, the reader will get to choose how the story continues. So it'll say, if you want to choose option A, turn to page five. If you want to choose option B, turn to page 10. And then the story picks up from that point forward. Okay. Um, and there are a couple big plot lines throughout the Friars, Friars Lantern. Um, the first is that you, the reader, the protagonist, go to a university research experiment where a scientist claims that he can use uh, an MRI brain scan to predict your decisions one week in advance, and he basically offers you large sums of money in order to prove that he can do this. Right. And then a few days later, you end up on a jury in a murder trial, and you're asked to decide whether this college professor who's accused of killing a man who he claims uh, murdered his wife, you're asked to decide whether or not this college professor is guilty of murder. Okay. And then the throughout the story, various other plot lines we've been in and out, and you'll get to make additional choices besides the ones I've described. Excellent. So you, you have had a, a few other uh, bits of work in the body of work that is Greg Hickey's there. And why did you decide to go into the choose-your-own uh, realm? Um, that story started probably at least 10 or 12 years ago now at this point. Um, I was in college, and I was, you know, at that time kind of kicking around a few ideas for for stories and i thought it'd be fun to write a choose your own adventure style book for adults at the time i didn't realize that there were not a lot of people doing this but there were a handful of people writing taking up this genre that was so popular with children and young adults back in the 80s and 90s when i was growing up but i you know jotted down this idea and probably a year or two later, I was in a college philosophy class, and we discussed this really interesting, to me, uh, philosophy problem called Newcomb's Problem. And that problem kind of became the genesis for the storyline with the scientist and the MRI experiment. Okay, so for the likes um, of me and everyone else in the audience, could you outline the Newton problem there? Sure. So basically, Newcomb's Problem says there's this super intelligent predictor. Um, it could be, you know, highly intelligent, highly intelligent alien. It could be God, um, whatever you want to make the predictor to, in order to believe that he's capable of predicting your decisions. And the predictor says, I believe I can predict your decisions one week in advance. And here's what the scenario is going to be. Uh, you've got two boxes in front of you, box A and box B. Box A contains $1,000. It will always contain $1,000. You can count on that. Box B either contains nothing or I'll put $1 million into the box. So you, the player of the game, have two options. You can either choose just box B, which is the mystery box, or you can choose box A and box B. You have a week to think about this. You're going to come back in one week. The boxes will be on a table. You open both both are one box, it's up to you, and you take whatever is inside. Now the catch is, the predictor says, since I think I know what you're going to do, I'm going to predict 
whether you'll take both boxes or one box right now. I'm going to put either nothing or $1 million in box B right now, and then you'll have a week to think about it. And the predictor says, I've been very good at this in the past. If I think that you're going to take just one box, if you're just going to take box B, then I will put $1 million in that box. If I think that you're going to take both boxes, box A and B, then I'm going to put nothing in box B. Mm. So basically, if the predictor continues to be very accurate and you take just box B, there's a good chance that you'll win $1 million. Right. If the predictor continues to be very accurate and you take both boxes, there's a good chance that you'll win just the $1,000 in box A. Okay. So have you weaved that uh, deep within the story then? Yeah. So that basically motivates the um, research scientist plotline. Um, and there's been some research coming out more in very recent years, but there's already research coming out in the early 2000s when I was preparing to write this book um, about scientists using MRI brain scans and other technology to actually predict decisions up to one week in advance, maybe even a little bit beyond that. So there is some technology there that would make the predictor of Newcomb's problem seem at least plausible. Um, and I thought that was an interesting way to kind of bring that storyline forward, put it into a story and make it seem at least somewhat realistic for a reader. Yeah, definitely. And since that has been germinating for quite some time, uh, what were you thinking when you saw the likes of Bandersnatch come out in recent times? Was that like, oh, wow, here's my chance to capitalize at what a good time? Yeah, um, that was exciting. I mean, it's exciting to see how other authors and other creators are uh, taking on this genre again and bringing it back and doing, I think, really new and inter interesting things with it. So Bandersnatch came out what, earlier this year or late last year? Yes, yeah, the end of last year, I think. December. Yeah, so, I mean, The Fire's Lantern came out in late 2017, so it's a little bit earlier than that, but I know, I mean, obviously, this is not a new idea to do a growing up choose your own adventure novel i know you've interviewed uh, james shanup who's been writing choose your own adventure style books for the past few years um, yeah. and there are other authors who have been doing similar things but it is exciting to see how various other creatives are taking this genre and i think doing new and interesting things with the form mm. yeah definitely and when you're putting it out in paper like how many branches did you want to make it really complicated is there only maybe five different branches what's the length and breadth of your process when outlining the story yeah i, I did want to keep it fairly simple um and part of that is i think compared to let's say the original choose your own adventure series where you're it's pretty fantastic you know if you go down path a you can you go down into the dark and scary cave and see what monsters lurk there. If you choose path B, you go into the equally dark and scary forest and see what's going on there. And there's always some fantastic element and you're making choices left and right. But for the most part, I don't think that's how we operate in real life. You know, when I wake up this morning, sure, I can choose not to go to work, but that's probably not going to be a viable option for most people. You know, we wake up every morning, we go to work, or school or whatever it is, we come home, you know, cook dinner, we have to eat. So there aren't as many fantastical choices made throughout our normal everyday lives, yeah. know, for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the Fire's Lantern, for example, you're summoned to jury duty 
And of course, in real life, you'd have the option not to do that. But I think most people will at least obey the summons and whether they want to concoct some story to get out of jury duty once they're there is another issue. Um, so I wanted to keep the story structure very simple. So, you know, there are fewer choices in the Friar's Lantern than in your typical children's or young adult uh, choose your own adventure book. Um, but I think I'm hoping that the choices that you will have to make are a little bit weightier than you might have had to do 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, of course. And there is definitely a thread within your work of sci-fi philosophy. Would that be an accurate description? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, obviously, uh, the Newcomb's Problem philosophy experiment motivated uh, one plot line. And that is still kind of in the realm of science fiction, although it's, you know, some of the research coming out lately has suggested that decisions are not made by your conscious deliberative mind, but a lot of decisions are made unconsciously um, and are not really chosen by you, but are determined by your genetics and your environment and so forth. Of course. Um, And then the, murder trial plotline kind of picks up on that idea. Um, so if you believe that you choose freely and you can pick among various options and choose to act on them, that's what motivates the criminal justice system that we've had for millennia. Yeah. You know, you choose to kill someone, you choose to rob someone, you, the agent who did to do, who chose to do those things are to blame for your action. Now, if, you don't actually make those choices if you don't actually deliberate and choose among various options that blame looks less likely so how do we explain morality how do we explain a criminal justice system if it's possible that agents aren't making free choices and that's what kind of motivates the second plot line okay and in your own life then do you try and make more fantastical choices like i think i'm gonna have a bag of sugar for breakfast or is there anything you've actually tried to change in your own life when putting pen to paper when contemplating the different choices and the freedom of choice oh that's a good one i do think i I, i'm pretty good with routine so i've one thing i will do is sort of experiment with um my health so try different foods and different diets and see how I I react to those. But once I kind of find something that works, I'm pretty good about, you know, following through on whatever that is, whether it's, you know, in my lifestyle or in my routine at work or my routine as a writer, um, I'm pretty good about kind of sticking to that routine. Okay. So what you're telling me is you like keeping things by the books. Yes. (laughs) Very good. And then you you do have a blog then. It's the Ethics of Human Movement. I had a little flick through that myself. Could you explain to the audience a little bit more? Is is that more Yeah, so that blog is kind of a, it's a side project to my fiction writing. Um, it's called Kinesophy. So K-I-N-E-S-O-P-H-Y. So combining the ideas of kinesiology and movement and philosophy. And I started that probably six or seven years ago now. Um, so I was a college philosophy student, um, and obviously when we're talking about philosophy, for the most part now we're talking about morality and we're talking about theory of mind and how we acquire knowledge, how we use knowledge, um, how we treat other people and the right way to treat other people. But if you go back to ancient philosophy, Aristotle and Plato and, and thinkers like that, 
they also talk a lot about how humans should take care of their bodies and how they should maintain their health. And I think that's something that's gotten lost over those millennia since then. Not for better or worse, obviously, it's important, you know, how we treat other people and how we treat the planet and the environment and so forth. But um, as a college athlete and a college philosophy student, I was interested in sort of going back and sort of reclaiming the part of philosophy that had been lost, that part of philosophy talking about um, human health and the human body and the way humans should move and should take care of themselves. So kinesthesis kind of stemmed out of that. So part of it is talking about, you know, the right ways for humans to take care of their health. Part of it is talking about issues in sports and society. Um, so, for example, I just wrote an art, two articles, actually, about Casper uh, Semenya, the South African sprinter. Um, she won the 800-meter gold medal at the last Olympics in 2016, has recently been accused of being intersex, so having um, traits that would be associated with males. Yeah, and one yeah. of the things that she's been accused of is having higher than average testosterone levels, and the IAF, which is the governing body for track and field, has told her that she, in order to race, needs to artificially lower her testosterone levels because they would give her an unfair advantage. So I wrote an article about that, um, actually a couple articles um, diving into that issue. Yeah, and I suppose an issue for another day we might be able to discuss is right. the, con- the contemplation of uh, trans athletes entering the Olympics soon, but that's another whole kettle of fish we don't want to dive into today yeah given the subject matter (laughs) and yeah because a little known fact to the audience i used to run a sort of weightlifting and power lifting gym uh back back in another life (laughs) before i was down here in australia so that would be of interest to me this sort of uh the ethics of human movement i guess it's always something close to my heart the old exercise would would you frequent the gym yourself greg yeah i I do um i was i think i mentioned i was a competitive athlete in college i played baseball for a long time after college i played overseas um which is nice because not only did i get to travel but it also gave me some time uh when i wasn't playing baseball to start writing my first novel once i got back to the states i realized that i you know well i had realized long before that that i wasn't going to be a serious professional baseball player. So I eventually picked up doing endurance sports like running marathons and triathlons. So now that that's where I am now. So I've been doing a lot of triathlons in the past few years. Okay, um, and yeah. actually at, at one point I was all, I was a personal trainer too. So I worked in a gym and helped people exercise and lose weight or achieve train for marathons or whatever. Yeah, of course. And definitely with that, as I'm sure you're aware, trying to get people to choose the right thing on their plate is very hard. So maybe that influenced you (laughs) to some extent. And the title of The Fire's Lantern itself, where does that stem from? It's quite uh, ominous. Yeah, so that stems from uh, the concept of Will of the Wisp, or I'm probably going to butcher this because my Latin's not very good, uh, but Ignis Fatuus. Um, which means foolish fire. So all these names refer to the uh, ghostly phenomenon of uh, a pale light that can appear over swamps or marshes and basically lead travelers astray. So travelers will follow this light, um, thinking that it leads somewhere, but it can take them off a safe path and into some serious 
wet areas, unstable areas that might be dangerous. Okay. And this this light arises basically from um, the phosphorescence of various swamp gases. Excellent. Um, So in the fire's lantern, uh, the title refers to the idea of some, some deceiving idea leading you off the wrong path. So you're on this path of the storyline in which you get to choose your options in the story and the title kind of warns readers to stay on a safe path and not stray off. I will add, um, I wrote a very short prequel to the Friar's Lantern, um, which I just released as a free ebook um, earlier this year. Uh, so it's available to anyone who wants to read it on my website. Excellent. And is that called the theory of anything? To it? Is that the right yes. one? Excellent. Yep, that's it. Perfect. And Greg, if someone was to choose the right path and get their hands on the Friar's Lantern, where could they get that? And where can they find you online? The best place to get the Friar's Lantern would be Amazon. And as far as finding me, uh, my website is greghickeywrites.com. That's where they can download the theory of anything. That's where they can read more about the Friar's Lantern. If they're interested in following me on social media or something like that, uh, all those links would be on my website. Perfect. Greg, thank you very much for coming on today. It was a pleasure getting a little bit of insight to the Friar's Lantern. And I hope some of the listeners pick it up and have a gander of what choices await for them and hopefully get the ultimate prize. Yes, I wish all readers luck. And thank you very much, Richard, for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So, guys, that concludes my chat with Greg Hickey. As per previously, check the show notes for all things Greg. And, guys, I hope you enjoyed the very special Independence Day double billing. And until next time, take care. Check us out on all the socials at the Bizarre Cast, now on Instagram. So, check that out. End of line.